Seeing all the kids and youth leave, I was hoping somebody would be remaining. Thanks for sticking around. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> We're, uh, Lord willing, going to wrap up one of my favorite books, Book of Acts, this morning. And then we're planning on going to Romans. So you can start, uh, get a head start on that this week. The song that we sang really touched my heart this morning. The, before, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. Think about that. I go back to uh, a time in the hospital when Chris and Tricia had their little one premature on life support, going into the hospital with Chris. And uh, he would just sing over Seth, just sing a worship song over him. And I was struck by his love for his kiddos. That's how much the Lord loves you and me. Isn't he something? Yeah. And that song just resonates, that love. We don't deserve it, but that's why he went to the cross, because he loves us. And as we wrap up this chapter, this has really been a book of the Lord beginning to reach out with his love to a world that doesn't deserve him. But he loves us just like we are. The thing I love is he, he loves us so much when, we, when he gets a hold of us, he won't leave us that way. Isn't he something? So we left with the hurricane winds, the waves, the rain, the ship being torn apart. Everything was coming unglued. Yet Paul declares, my God stood by me last night. He sent an angel. He gave me his word. Nobody's going to die. And just like the Lord said, everyone survived. But it would take two miracles for that to happen as I thought about this. The first miracle, think about this. A battle-hardened Roman centurion would have to be willing to risk Everything for Paul. That's not likely going to happen. His livelihood could be lost. Possibly his life could be lost if one prisoner got away. It could be over for that centurion. But look, a little bit of review in chapter 27, verse 43. The centurion wanting to save Paul. Why would he want? to do that at the risk of his own life even. He kept them, the Roman soldiers, from their purpose. They were going to kill all the prisoners, protecting their own lives and livelihood. And he commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land. So I'm thinking about this centurion. Is it possible that maybe one of his friends and cohorts was Cornelius? the Roman centurion of Acts chapter 10. Had Cornelius led him to the Lord? Had Cornelius shared the love of Christ with him? Possibly. 
Was he a follower of Jesus? Possibly. But then it's going to take a second miracle. Think about it. So you got all these folks that are left on the ship and they're in the middle of the ocean stuck and the waves and the winds are pounding the ship and it's coming unglued and they can't swim. Ah! What are we going to do? Well, think about the miracle. Ironically, God would use the fierceness of the storm itself to save them. It's the way the Lord works. Look at verse 44 as we wrap up chapter 27. And the rest, those who could not swim, some on board, some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. So, this is a well-documented, celebrated truth, historical fact in Scripture. They named this place where these miracles took place after Paul himself. Think about that. God's Word is absolutely true. If you want to look on the back of the bulletin, there's notes that you can look at in the first one. Think about this. Just as the Lord promised Paul, Everyone on board survived the storm. God's word never fails. Never. Period. You can stake your eternity on God's word. Luke 21.33 Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Wet, soaked, gale force winds, absolutely drenched. <clears throat> Some of them are barely making it to the shore. Some are just slogging onto the sand. Others are crawling up on the sand, turning over, going, ah, I made it somehow. Well, that's where we join them. Acts 28, verse 1. And when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta and the bay that they landed on was St. Paul's Bay. Number two, and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was, that was falling, because of the cold, and because they're going, Man, these guys need help. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, whoa, stop right there, Paul. He's the guy, when everybody had given up hope on this ship, he basically took charge. The Lord had spoken to him the night before, and he says, listen, God has said we're all going to make it. Have a bite to eat. I'm going to pray to our God and I know that we're going to all be okay. We'll be okay. And of course, he's also the distinguished Apostle Paul who's already written some of the Bible, sending letters out. And he could have just sat there and goes, well, we made it because of me. The Lord saved everybody because of me. But he sees the islanders lighting a fire and he jumps up 
and I just love Paul, and he starts helping to get everybody warm. He's running around, he's gathering these sticks, he's helping them get warm. How do you stop a guy like that? Always looking for opportunities to serve, to show the Lord's love, always going for it. I like that. What a great example Paul is for us. So he's got this bundle of sticks. He's getting close to the fire. They're warming up, and all of a sudden this little critter wakes up. And verse 3, a viper comes out because of the heat and fastens on his hand. Now, if that would have happened to me, I would have started screaming and running and going, ah! However, the natives are looking at this. It's fastened on Paul's hand. They saw the creature hanging from his hand, and they said to one another, ah, no doubt this man is a murderer whom those who escaped the sea, justice has caught up with him. Bad karma. Okay, whatever it might be, they were thinking but he just shook it off over the fire, calmly. I'm going, ah, that wouldn't have been me. And the creature fell into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. They'd seen others bitten by this creature, venom. But after they had looked for a long time and they saw no harm come to him, they go, huh, this is crazy. They, maybe he's a god. Now think about this. Human nature. The islanders. First they think he's a murderer and they're condemning him. Just as quickly they change their minds. Why? He must be a god. So this world is so fickle. Are you going to let this world dictate which direction you want your life to go? Are you kidding me? They'll build you up and just as fast they'll tear you down for whatever crazy reason. But think about Jesus on the other hand. While we were yet sinners, he loved us so much that he went to the cross for you and for I. As we were singing about his love this morning, how, how awesome is his love. He just loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his life for us. He died for a sinner like me. And then he loved me so much that he just kept working in my life. Best of all, like I said, he loves us too much to leave us the way we were. His love for me, for you, never changes. We go up and down. We struggle with the things of this world. We're affected by the fickleness of those around us. But Jesus is just always there for us. And he causes things in our lives that, that we think, wow, why is this happening? He's so awesome that he even turns those around and causes them to work for eternal good, whatever they might be. He's just an awesome God. Another thing about this happening. So Paul gets struck by this poisonous viper and he should fall over dead. But remember what Jesus promised, predicted in his word? 
These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. We've seen all of this happen in the book of Acts leading up to this point. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt, hurt them, especially the line here. They'll take up serpents, and it will by no means hurt them. Maybe this is why Paul could be so calm. He's going, I know I'm right where the Lord wants me to be. I know that he called me to speak to Caesar, to to go to Rome, Caesar's court. He's promised me at least three different times that I'm going to get there. And here this viper trying to stop me. Jesus promised. Not going to happen. Well, this is one of those situations where God's word just comes through loud and clear again. Jesus promised. Now look at verse 7. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us. That's an interesting word to use for this motley crew of 276 murderers, thieves, extortioners, kidnappers, soldiers, and sailors. Here they're invited to (coughs) the leader's house on the island, and he's entertaining them. Wow. Talk about drop-in guests. (laughs) He was very courteous. It was for three days. You can bet that Jesus saw their act of love and courtesy. It takes me back to that centurion that we thought about. And I believe just as Peter was miraculously sent to Cornelius, I believe Paul is miraculously sent to this man on the island. That the hurricane winds have guided him right where the Lord wanted him to end up. And he's bringing a life-changing love of Jesus to this family. That was a divine appointment, I believe. For look at verse 8. And it happened. In other words, and it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. The Lord's right in the middle of this. That the father of Uh, Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery and Paul went into him and he prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. Verse 9, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Can you see the divine work taking place here? That was just the beginning. As Paul is sharing the love of Christ with those who have never heard about Jesus of Nazareth before. Just as Cornelius' family and friends were miraculously touched by God's love, so are these folks. His family, his whole island, touched by the love of Jesus, the signs and wonders authenticating that this is the gospel truth. You can base your life on it. Preached by Paul, the apostle. In verse 10, 
As they responded to the love of Christ, they opened their hearts to Jesus. Their lives were changed. They become anointed and filled by the Holy Spirit. They turn around and look at verse 10. And they honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Talk about over the top. Reminds me of what Jesus said to the disciples. I have a new commandment that I give you, John 13, 34, 35. You're to love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we will learn soon that they were on this island for three months. And Dr. Luke and Paul and uh, Aristarchus shared the gospel. And the whole island learned about Jesus. The love of Christ Uh, just flooded their hearts and these islanders were moved and they began to give back the love that Jesus had Paul had shared with them about the love of Jesus. And I believe that this is the mark of folks really coming to Christ. They begin to show Christ's love to others. Their newfound faith in Christ and their love began to pour out on Paul and those with him. Verse 11. After three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. Now we don't really know anything about this figurehead and what, what was going on in the world at that time. The figurehead, the twin brothers, were Castor and Pollux, they were twin sons of Zeus, and they were considered the gods of navig- navigation. If you, if you want to be protected sailing in these dangerous waters, you better worship Zeus and his sons. This is a reminder to me of the world that Paul ministered in. The power of Christ's love, more sufficient very sufficient to radically change hearts and lives even in the midst of a full-blown pagan society. Think about this. Much like the society that America is moving into today. Is there hope? Absolutely. The love of Jesus Christ miraculously can change hearts, lives, votes, directions, give us future and a hope. Look at your notes, number two. Those who were sailing with Paul and learned firsthand, it only takes one son, not the twin sons of Greek mythology. It only takes the Son of God to save drowning sailors. It only takes one son to turn our world around, the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that is powerful enough to get a hold of people's hearts and lives. Never forget that. And this one son, of course, is God's only son, Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 12. And landing at 
Syracuse. We stayed there three days. Now they're headed for Rome. They're almost there. You can see the map. Verse 13, from there we circled around and reached Regellum. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli. Sounds like something you might eat in a restaurant. Where we found brethren. So there's believers in Rome. The gospel has reached to this territory already. And Paul had heard about that when he was in Corinth. And that's why he wrote a letter uh, Christian letter, epistle to the Romans. So we found brethren there, verse 14. And we were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome. So now they're off the ship. They're on land. And they, get, they gather what they need to gather together to make it from there, uh, walking on land to get to Rome. And from there... Verse 15, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Ape Way Forum and the three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God. It encouraged him. Why do we meet together as God's family? It's encouraging. Why do we have life groups? There's nothing more encouraging than being with one another, ministering to each other, and sharing our hearts and praying for one another. Wow. So Paul's finally in Rome. Apparently, they immediately said to Paul, we know about you. Stay with us. And these brothers, for seven days, took care of him. And they sent word to believers who were in Rome and when they heard that Paul was there, these brothers in Rome, while they came to meet him, the, the Ape Forum is 43 miles from Rome. The Three Taverns is 33 miles. That's still a long way on a donkey, folks. <laughs> and Paul had never been to Rome. Why all the excitement? What's going on? Why a heartfelt excitement? response and warm welcome for someone they'd never met. Well, as I shared, Paul's last visit to Corinth, he heard that Jesus had made his way into Rome. He was so excited. And God laid on his heart the epistle to the Romans. And he poured out his heart to these believers that he had never met before. And they received his letter. And they felt like, we know this guy. We know his heart. We know his love for the Lord. We can't wait to meet him. And now they get a chance. They want to meet him face to face. What a time this must have been. How they honored him. And rightfully so. Verse 16. Now, when we came to Rome, whew, Finally make it. It's been a long journey, hasn't it? But the Lord has been with them each step of the way. The centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. They're put in prison, locked down. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself 
with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul's life, Paul's testimony, Paul's person, Paul's relationship that he had built with this centurion, the truth about Paul that he really didn't deserve to be in prison, he should have been set free, the respect of this Roman centurion for Paul, he just puts him under house arrest, not in prison. In this provision, Paul is given full freedom to have his friends, to write letters, to do whatever he needs to do, but he's still under guard before he meets with Caesar. So he's chained to a guard, and they take six-hour shifts. Paul would later write to the Philippian believers, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So, how did men in Caesar's household get saved? They were chained to Paul for six hours. Think about that. I thought about Coach Moore and his work at the high school. And there was a time when things were kind of getting wrapped up and he uh, really wasn't coaching anymore, but he was doing Bible clubs and different things. And uh, he was vice principal, and his job is discipline. So you get called into the vice principal's office. You're chained to the vice principal. Guess what's going to happen? As the Lord leads appropriately, there were young men and women who coach spoke to about Jesus. If he didn't feel that it was correct, he would at least say, now you're going through some tough times. I love you, I care about you, but you can't keep going in this direction. And this is what we're going to need to do. And then he would say, can I pray for you? And almost to a person, they would say, sure, coach, pray. And right there in the office, with their permission, he'd pray for them. And this is Paul. So this guy's chained to Paul. How you doing? Huh? What's going on in your life? And he would get to know them. And he'd care about them. And he'd pray for them. And then he'd have friends come in. And this guard's chained to Paul. And they're talking about Jesus and what the Lord is doing in their lives. And this guard is going, whoa, that's interesting. You mean Jesus did that? You mean that miracle happened? Did that really happen? Well, yeah, let me share. And they just would come to know Jesus because they were with Paul. How about when people get with you? Is that what begins to happen? Just because you love the Lord with all your heart? And it's just a natural thing to, to start sharing. Well, we've been praying about this in our family. And, and oh, you know, it's, a, it's crazy how the Lord moved us to this area. Or, or, well, I've been praying about this. Or I'm struggling with that. And just in a natural way, open your heart and life to others. That they might see Jesus in you. 
That's what Paul did. And they came to know the Lord. Well, verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have not done any, I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. In other words, I did nothing wrong, but they were out to take me out, to kill me. Who, when they examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar because if they would have sent me back to Jerusalem, I would have been dead before I even got there. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak to you because of the hope of Israel. I am bound with this chain. So Paul's not attempting to just defend himself. He's already moving it. I want to tell you about the hope of Israel. I want to tell you about this Jesus of Nazareth. And they said to him, verse 21, Huh, we haven't received letters from Judea concerning you, nor has any other brethren who have reported or spoken any evil of you. And I'm thinking, maybe the letters were in that ship that sunk. (laughs) Who knows? But the way seems to be open for Paul to share with the Jews. But we desire to hear from you and what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. We want to find out more about Jesus. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, Uh, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Boy, would I love to have a CD of that Bible study. Wouldn't that have been something? Think about Genesis 22 when Paul spoke of Abraham and Isaac. And God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And Abraham's going, wow, I don't know what God's doing, but I know he promised that my son would, through him, would be the seed for the Messiah to come, for the hope of Israel. I don't know what he's doing, but I love him and I'm trusting him with my son. And Isaac, he's looking around and he said to his dad, so here's the wood. Here's the fire, but we don't have a sacrifice. And Abraham spoke prophetically and he said to his son, Son, God will provide for himself a lamb. That's faith. That's faith. And I'm sure at that point he shared Jesus' words. For God so loved the world, 
that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Psalm 22, the very words that Jesus spoke recorded in the Old Testament long before it happened. They were recorded, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he probably shared from Psalm 16.10, the same passage that Peter shared on the day of Pentecost. And this was speaking of God's Son, the Holy One, Jesus of Nazareth. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy, Holy One to see corruption. For this Jesus who had given his life on the cross and was buried for three days, he arose from the grave, just as Scripture said would happen. He's alive, he's Messiah. The grave could not hold him. From morning till evening, Paul is sharing all these prophecies, all these words about Jesus, how the entire Old Testament pictured, pointed to, and perfectly prophesied of the Son of God, of Jesus, the hope of Israel. Look at verse 34. And some were persuaded. And some disbelieved. Wow. Some believed. Some didn't. Both had the same information, the Scripture, the truth. This didn't surprise Paul at all. For he had already revealed in his epistle to the Romans, and now he shares with these that he's speaking to directly in Rome, these Jews. Verse 25, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers. <clears throat> Isaiah saw your hard hearts, saying, Go to this people <clears throat> and say, Hearing you will hear, but you won't understand. Seeing you will see, but it won't get through. You won't perceive it. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I would heal them. Isn't this a fascinating verse? I've, as I've thought about this, this is my best understanding of what's happening here. <coughs> God said, Isaiah said, God will blind the eyes of the person who does not want to change, who does not want to hear, who does not want to let go of their lifestyle or their sin or whatever it might be. He will harden the heart of the one who chooses not to believe in him. Why? Unless God had blinded the eyes and hardened the hearts of those who don't want to believe, they would be forced to believe by the sheer preponderance of the evidence alone. Think of Jesus, miracle after miracle after miracle. 
And yet those who didn't want to believe just hardened their hearts and said, oh, we're just going to have to get rid of him and we're going to have to and we're going to have to kill the one that rose from the grave that Jesus healed and brought back to life. They just didn't want Jesus to be part of their lives. Your notes on number three. God will not force himself upon any man or woman. He will move heaven and hell to reach a person's heart. But once there, he stands at the door and knocks. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and spend my life with him. I like that. Paul goes on to explain in the epistle to the Romans that though blinded for a season, Israel will someday, Romans chapter 11, Israel as a nation will someday finally embrace their Messiah. But they're blinded for a time right now and Paul explains in Romans that it's so that the the gospel would be sent to the whole world, even as far as willows. Wow. Well, this point seems to be the final official invitation to Israel. In Scripture, from this point on, the gospel is now headed to the ends of the earth, to us, to us Gentiles. Acts 1.8 You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem as we go through the book of Acts and in all Judea as we go through the book of Acts and Samaria as we go through the book of Acts. And now we're in Rome and we're beginning to go from there to the whole world, to the end of the earth. Verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to Gentiles and they will hear it. They won't blind their eyes. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed had a great dispute among themselves. I can just see it. Whoa, arguing and yeah, but the scripture. I don't care. I won't. I don't. No, and they just back and forth, back and forth. And it says that Paul dwelt two more years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, ministering and leading uh, the Roman guard to Jesus preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. For two years, chained to a guard, every six hours, a new guard, Paul would teach all who came to him, pin the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They're called the prison officials, epistles, excuse me, Although this is where Luke laid down his pen. Remember, the book of Acts wasn't about Paul. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ working through his church. And he continues that work today. And we're part of that work. But Paul's story did continue 
Look at your notes number four. History records that Paul witnessed powerfully for, for Jesus before Emperor Nero. Remember, Jesus himself sent him to Caesar to witness to Nero. Jesus loves even potentates, politicians, and presidents. Never forget that. So, pray. Pray. At this time, Caesar Nero personally rejected Paul's witness. I don't know if he was like the other king who said, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian, but I'm not going to let go of my lifestyle. I don't know. But he rejected Jesus. He released Paul because there was no legal case against him. The early church wrote that Paul preached the gospel in Spain and then in Europe. But as he made his way back, he was captured by Nero, arrested. This time it was more than house arrest. He was thrown in the dungeon. Nero, by this time, had literally gone insane. In notes number five. Honestly, I believe anyone who chooses to reject Jesus' love and forgiveness is acting a bit insane already. You're just headed in the wrong direction. You're not thinking straight. Knowing death was now imminent, Paul's final chapter was actually penned by himself as he wrote to young Timothy, a beloved friend, co-worker, Paul called him a son in the faith. Worship team, come on up. The words to Timothy as Paul is in this dungeon. And he says, Timothy, I charge you. It's like he's saying, no matter what's happening, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you find yourself, I charge you, preach the word. (laughs) Be ready in season and out of season. If they... If it's not convenient or if it's convenient or if they don't want to hear or whatever, preach the word. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. And I love these words of Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. In other words, he's coming back. And when he comes, I'm going to be there. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing, who yearn for Jesus to come back. So shortly after Paul penned these words, sent the letter to Timothy. He died. He was beheaded at the command of this insane Caesar Nero. But never forget these last words of Paul. 
And may they be an encouragement to you and an encouragement to, to me, as Paul is such a great example. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. All I have to say is, thanks, Paul. Good job. So we'll see you next Sunday in Rome. Stand with me and we'll close our service.